Greetings, true believers, and welcome to episode 54 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is the one, the only, Hector. How's it going, Hector? And lo, I will be with you always, even till the end of the podcast. <laughs> even till the end of the podcast. Uh, so you know what that means, fam. Strap yourselves in and prepare yourselves, for we've got comic sign. Better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next song. Uh, on today's episode of The Pullist, we have a wonderful show for you. We're going to hit the latest news that you need to know, our must-pull recommendations from the past two weeks, our favorite number ones, and whatever else we decide to fit into the next hour. This is The Pullist Podcast. As we wander into my spacious newsroom, all six square feet of it we have some interesting industry news for you this week gonna talk a little bit about diamond distribution we've talked about diamond before in the past i know this um but they are finally bringing to market a product that i think was originally i heard rumors of it geez maybe three years ago but diamond's finally rolling out supposedly on june they're online poll management system so there's going to be an app you can actually sign up and sign into your local store if they use the system and actually do polls from diamonds direct system which the whole point of this entire project has always been that that means that shop owners know exactly what to order when foc comes up that they can you can actually sit at home pull up the app and go through previews and go oh yeah i want that i want that and the idea has always been that that's going to streamline the process for shop owners because FOCing, doing final order cutoff is a pain in the butt. We've talked about this. I know I've talked about this before on the show that we still call it, you know, comic book math or the Marvel math or the DC math because when FOC comes out, sometimes we're trying to order copies of books that we haven't even sold the number one issue for yet. So we're FOCing number two and number three sometimes before we've even seen the sales from a number one in a series, which means we're throwing darts at a wall and shaking the magic eight ball and just trying to figure out how to order stuff. But in theory, this means if people actually read a previews, which comes out well before FOC of all this stuff. I never do that, by the way. It, yeah, nobody ever does because it's been a pain in the butt, but. With the digital system hopefully coming on and supposedly it's, a, oh, that's pretty. I like it. And you can mash your finger on your phone and get comic books, then I, I'm here for it. That said, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, A, a lot of people trust Diamond um, in the long run as retailers. And I wonder why. Diamond's also been having that rough go of independent shippers and distributors are now coming back into the game. And there's also been a system that's been a third-party system that has allowed some folks to do this for a while now. Stores that have jumped on with, I think it's called Comic Hub, if I remember. I should remember because that dude had been relentless in the industry for the last few years of trying to get people to buy in. And they finally got a product that was pretty good, that it was a point of sale, but also an online store and also an app, which means you literally could click on the things so that your shop could order the things for you. So. 
there's technically a competitor that is to market before, but still isn't widely in use. I think it's yet to be seen. The theory of being able to order comic books that easily in what was kind of a paper process for things coming in the future, I think is going to be interesting, or at least it means you might find more things quicker. I still flip through previews because I want to see what's coming out, but because it's a, it, you have to buy it and you even have to buy it in digital. It does exist in digital. It's just never felt like a simple process. So I think in June, I'll be checking it out to see what happens at least. That's been a long time coming. Like I said, for years, I've known the folks at Diamond that are working on that project. And so I'm hoping it's finally here and that it does what they say it does, <laughs> uh, to say the very least. Keep an eye out if you have a local shop, you know, inquire about it. And they'll either groan and be like, no, we're not going to play with Diamond and their silly new toy. Or you'll find out that they're jumping on board and you have that available to you. So think about it. Keep an eye out there for you. We got the link in the show notes for you to see some more details. Hector, I think I have some good news for you. Go on. Oh, go on. Yes. Well, looking at solicitations for this fall, three X-Men related books are disappearing. New Mutants, Excalibur, and Sword don't seem to have solicitations for August, which means everybody has is arranging their tea leaves on their table and trying to figure out if that means it's a month break leading into the fall after summer events, or if they're finally going to trim down the X line to some of their more core titles. Either way, um, if you were attached to New Mutants, Excalibur, and Sword, it may be time to start eulogizing them. Maybe it's not, but it's Marvel, which means it could be a month break, and if enough people complain, suddenly all the books show back up. Or if no one says anything, they just silently, slowly <laughs> glide off into the great beyond. Or you could try and make a DC book with Red Hood like DC did, and it'd be so bad that it just disappears <laughs> and no one ever says anything. How did, how did we come out of like a 50-plus a run of Red Hood and the Outlaws, start a new story arc and just straight drop it jason moves to an urban area and the, it just disappeared book's gone and here i was to to, to talk about the x-men but that seems more interesting and i don't think i've seen any stories on that and that's a good point though is you're right is that jason had like a huge kind of underscoring in future state and everything and yeah they basically abandoned the storyline they were building just to go this future state route but that's the thing they're doing like four other jason books they're doing like this other stuff but they just dropped his main line and never breathed a word about it that's a valid point because the outlaws really made i mean i enjoyed that and i'm not as vested in that space as you are because if you've been listening to us for a while you may already know that hector likes some jason todd a little bit a little bit, just a little bit. But yeah, so maybe I should should amend this and say that there's no mutant, no new mutants, Excalibur Sword, or who the heck is that Jason Todd guy and the Outlaws, and that both DC and Marvel were like, peace. There should be a grieving period or a mourning period if you're just going to like <laughs> nuke a book. That's all I'm saying. You shouldn't just chuck it to, by the wayside and act like it didn't exist. There should be an apology if it's bad, <laughs> or an acknowledgement if it's just not happening. It's okay. H Hector's working through the grieving process and we're here to grieve with him. It's okay, bro. M maybe if I give you some, m maybe some new DC news, it'll make you feel better. It's possible. Okay. So did you know that there is a DC league of super pets movie currently on the block? Live action or animated or what? Pretty sure it's animated. 
Okay. It's a thing. So the League of Super Pets, which if you are not familiar with the League of Super Pets, you need to get yourself educated because there are so many Super Pets that it's hard to keep track of them all. And one of them includes the Bat Cow, and I'm not sorry for that. And you should know that Batman has a cow. Technically, he's Robin's at this point, but still. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, Crypto, the super dog, is going to be voiced by none other than The Rock. That Did that help, or did it make it worse? No. I, mean, that's, that's, <laughs> I don't need that. First of all, Crypto should be voiced by like Bill Hader. There's no point where Crypto needs to be The Rock. Except in the same universe where he's also Black Adam. So here we are. This is fine. I think I'm more excited that to have learned that there's a League of Super Pets movie out there somewhere. The Rock, Crypto, you're welcome, fam. I still think I'm a little more excited by the idea of an Injustice animated movie, but... The short version is, and I didn't include this in our in our show notes, but HBO Max is like packing in a bunch of animated stuff over like the next year and beyond. So there's lots of cool DC projects that are just coming out. Super Pets, Crypto, The Rock... We either needed it or we didn't, but now you have it. So speaking of HBO Max, interesting thing that's going to seem unrelated, but is actually directly related to everything that we talk about here is over the last week, you might have seen all these little things about AT&T announcing that they're spinning Warner Media and everything off into Discovery's portfolio. And all this random media conglomerate is like jamming together. But AT&T is basically like, peace, we're out. And a lot of people stopped and shook their head for a moment and went, wait, hold on. Why do I care about this other than getting ancient aliens on HBO or something? I don't know. Here's the thing. We talked a great deal over the last few months of all the layoffs at DC Comics and all the restructuring by Warner Brothers Media and everything. And everyone was trying to figure out what on earth was going on because it didn't seem to really connect to anything. And unfortunately, now looking through those events through the rearview mirror and hindsight being 2020, it seems pretty obvious that we should have known that this was coming because a typical action of a company that is jamming lots of related product into a portfolio and then firing a bunch of senior people is exactly what a holding company does before they resell a company. Because you do that to get all of your top heavy cash earners off your books so your profits look bigger. And it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths at DC because it didn't feel like there was any sense to the people that were being moved around. And now it kind of feels like none of that mattered. You know, when that got announced, a few folks that I know that are still in the DC stable were kind of like, wait, what? And even some of them said, because rumors were floating around internally that one of uh, the new leads had come to all them and was like, everything's cool on a Friday. And yeah, everything's great. We're going going into the next year. Everything's going to be awesome. And then on Monday, he's like, cool, we're being sold and I'm fired. Peace out. <laughs> and it's like, what? But now we finally get Disney buying DC. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. Right. And it's stuff like all over the place and wild and crazy. But it's all that to say, pay attention to that stuff when it floats around out there because... We're down to what, like three companies own all of the major entertainment media right now. So it's it's just wild to think that all of that stuff changed so quickly over the last year. So many editors, so many folks getting moved around, creatives. Now we get to wait and see what actually happens um, if 
do we see some of those people come back as a result? It's a big question mark. Or we're going to see Ancient Alien comic books this year. The world of media is absolutely wild. And it's one of those things that I highly encourage folks that if you're that kind of nerd that just want to understand how things work, go look up major corporations like AT&T, Viacom, and see who they all own in the Venn diagram. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a corporate nerd. It's really wild that basically those two companies own everything in terms of mass marketing media and everything. That's what you need to know uh, and is our biweekly look at the industry and delivering you all of that wonderful inside knowledge. And as always, you can join in on that conversation with Hector and I and all of your other nerdy friends over on the Love Thy Nerd Discord or on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community and just geek out with us. Tell us what you liked, what you hated, or possibly even what we missed. You know, we've even got our own comic channel there on the Discord server. So if you got nerdy stuff to talk about, we're there to hang out with you and to talk about all the cool stuff together. What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. Hector, I I know you're still recovering from the Jason Todd thing, but... Do you have some polls that you would like to share with us this week? Well, I'll go ahead and jump in with a Jason Todd poll since we're going that route. There's an online first series called Truth and Justice, which is, you know, it's just another uh, anthology series type thing. But they've been doing a Jason Todd one for a while, and they finally released it in print altogether under Truth and Justice number four. Um, it has a very eclectic animation style in terms of the visual of it, but it's a solid thing of, uh, if this would have been a single issue book anywhere else, I feel like we would have gotten about half of the development of a story, but because they did it digital first and dragged it out, you get a lot more. Basically, a short version, you get an intro to who Jason Todd is, almost like a my name is Oliver Queen. I spent five years on a hellish island type intro. And like, I'm like, who the crap picked up this book and didn't know who Jason Todd is? I mean, it wasn't even like the little blurb of villains are a superstitious and cowardly lot. It was like giving you the background. I'm like, why? Why are we doing this? Um, but I get it. They're doing the digital first crowd and everything. But you get Jason being doused with scarecrow grass and what feels like 50 pages of Jason working through his own internal fears and insecurities as a person through every iteration of his character and identity. And like every time it feels like, cool, we made it to the end of this arc. We're going to turn the page and here's the redemptive part. Um, Like a shadow version of Bruce will pop up and say, nope, you still suck at all these things. And then it just delves right back into it. You get to see him deal with his insecurities as Red Hood, as Robin, um, as Batman's inferior, as Nightwing's inferior. The fact that he's eventually going to be the Joker. The fact that uh, um, he's worthless. And like literally, it's just him dealing with his own insecurities 
over and over again. There's even a panel where it's got Batman standing in front of him with four different versions of Jason. He's like, you've been Nightwing, you've been Red Hood, you've been Red Robin, you've been Red Robin and a failed Batman. Is there any version of you that's not a failure? And... So this is why why Hector is kind of down right now. Yes, yes. Um, I read three Red Hood books today prepping for this and I'm like, oh, no. I, I can't deal with this, but no, it was, it was, it was solid. And because this is not Canon, I don't feel like this is a major spoiler or anything. So I'm not going to put a lot of emphasis on this. Cause I doubt most of you will ever <laughs> read this one. Well, and if you're reading digitally, you would have had this weeks ago because this would have come out a long time ago. Digitally, the end game was that Talia Al Ghul orchestrated this because she's training Jason to be the next Roz, which was way out of left field like i didn't see that coming if you're part of the original version of jason's return from the dead talia was involved but as canon has tweaked and retconned itself over and over talia has been more and more involved in his resurrection and re-establishment in each iteration so i actually see this as plausible and i would actually kind of be interested Joker number three, just throwing it out there. I'm still digging the uh, fact that it's a Jim Gordon story. The fact that it really should be called Gordon's Day Out. The Dark Commissioner. The Dark Commissioner. It should be something other than Joker. But the fact that Joker is like a side character in it is great to me. My kids watched that Tom and Jerry movie on HBO Max like a little bit ago. And the fact that Tom and Jerry were really support characters, not the main characters of the story. This is that. Joker literally pops in for like a panel. Comedic humor <laughs> and like wacky setup and that's about it. But this is a yeah, wacky setup with guns this time around though. <laughs> and and Lady Bane ninjas. Wait, hold on. Can, I don't think we've actually talked about the Lady Bane thing. So we either covered it as a spoiler and didn't talk about it or it's just been because we were commenting before the podcast, which is dangerous because it doesn't make it in the podcast unless Chris remembers. Here we are. Um yeah, that Bane basically what he he cloned himself, or it's technically his daughter, his sister. Is this established in this anywhere? There's a no. Bane. Uh, I think this is more of a Santa Prisca cult. Ah, I think this is a Santa Prisca cult that worships the concept of who Bane is, and so they right, are because Bane Bane is dead. This is the book that Bane's dead in. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> well, air quotes. Bane is dead in all of DC. If that's canon. Uh, Bane, air quotes, died in the Joker Arkham attack, which the Joker did not orchestrate, air quotes. Yeah, that's not confusing, but you're, but you're right. Anyway, we have a female Bane character that we have, that they literally just kind of drop like two panels in of in each issue. Like the first one was like, she exists. The second one was she's still coming for the Joker and or for for Gordon and then here we are. I'm I'm intrigued but I'm still confused. Well that's where I'm at, but honestly I'm just enjoying the Gordon aspect of this, how it plays out and I I think that's solid. If this was a book and that's all they gave me, I'd be fine. At this point in time, they would have to royally screw this up for this not to be one of my favorite books of the year when all is said and done. They'd have to do something dramatic cuz even if it goes downhill, if this is a 6 issue arc, I don't know how long it is. If this is a six issue arc 
and they just kind of slowly downgrade from here, it'll still be fun. If if they go completely off the rails, that's a different story. I'd be happy if you know if they did some crazy stuff in there. They've introduced some other characters. Um, we're a month behind out on this, so like uh, th- this is also inter- er, involving the Court of Owls. But yeah, I'm enjoying Joker number three, and it's it's a it's steadily being a book I'm confident in. Also on confident books, Nightwing, steady, great. Not only did uh, it continue the the whole thing about Nightwing being the heir to Alfred's fortune and everything else, this issue actually brought us Tim Drake. Tim is always good in an ensemble scenario. And the fact that when Tim is introduced in the book, Nightwing says, people say he's the best Robin. I don't have bitterness towards this. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> like really talking about the fact that he he has this, but you get to see Tim and Dick interact well together, which I'm a fan. Like there is this panel and it's a simple piece of dialogue from like, what year is this? From like 18 years ago where in Hush, Bruce is just having a side comment to himself and he says, Tim is the best of all of us and there's no reason he shouldn't be the next Batman and he will be one day. And it was just a simple panel. And that one panel has always shifted my focus of Tim Drake. Because I hear that narration every time I think of Tim Drake. We also get... Tom Taylor has a really great grasp of the humorous dialogue and banter between Barbara and Dick. (laughs) Like, at one point in time, the police in this issue are interrogating Nightwing and... Barbara and uh they're like what's the nature of your relationship and you literally just see him huff up his chest and like try not to like vomit and he's like I'm still trying to figure that out but I don't think an interrogation is the best place to have this discussion um (laughs) (laughs) but man it's 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 really good stuff it's witty it's fun the action's good they bring in some d-list villains and one of my favorite things, like you remember those survival guide books they'd sell at bookstores, like Survival Guides of the Apocalypse or whatever else, they had little charts or whatever. There's at one point where Dick and Tim are fighting a couple D-list villains, and they literally give you a assembly panel, like you're putting together furniture. So it's it's the IKEA stuff. Like the IKEA stuff, yes. I live in rural North Carolina, dude. We don't do IKEA. But like literally, Nightwing pulls out his Escrima sticks, and the next thing you see is it literally shows you how to join them together and which motions to twist them in to make a bow staff. Uh, like it's an instruction panel. Right. Okay. And then they throw it to Dick or to Tim. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. But they're they've introduced a new villain called the Heartless. Dealing a lot with family, still warm-hearted, still I think one of the best Batman books and best books out there right now. So, still standing firmly by that. And then um, my other pull, just to throw out there, is uh, Noctera number three. Scott Snyder doing his thing. Really dark, adventurous book. I think it would make an amazing movie so far. Um, There's some deep elements to people's past and memory, but the idea of horror action and how it relates to who we are as people just it's a really really solid book um to be three issues deep and have this kind of impact i think we're looking at a 
I think we're looking at the beginning of something that a generation from now will be a big deal. I, I think by the time I have a grandkid, there'll probably be a movie of this. Like, is somewhere in the reality of it. Um, if it doesn't happen sooner. I know that we're getting, like, a Berserker movie for no reason right now. But I think, like, that's striking while the iron is hot. Well, I think that this will be a Walking Dead scenario where if it continues well, it could be a property that's adopted later in the future. That's me. I, I, I stand by it that if you if you remotely dig action, like, the internal monologue of Dark and Light... And that vibe, it's it's got a lot of good story elements at play. Plus some of the um some of the visuals and the tongue in cheek stuff of it are just a spot on piece of enjoyment. It's also super creepy because like uh when like the the idea is that if you've been exposed to the dark for too long, the darkness takes you over. But they've added the element that when the dark starts to take you, you start to say things like, I love you with all of my soul before you start killing people. And so like, <laughs> uh, right, be- right before your parents turn on you to try and like slaughter you, they start to tell you how much they love you. And that's not creepy. So but, no, that's completely normal. <laughs> what? So like literally the, there, I think there was a panel where the kids open the cellar door and they see red glowing eyes of their parents and talking about how much they love them. And it's like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> no. So those are my pulls. That's that's what I got. I read through because I had gotten really behind. And I there's some books that I still haven't put on my list. I have not read The Good Asian. I have not read uh, the DC uh, Festival of Heroes. I haven't caught up on Swamp Thing either. Or um, Batman Future Sun or Man Bat. Or the new Firefly. So those are ones that are still sitting in my pile that mm. didn't make it into this. But uh, there's just a lot of stuff out right now. So it's hard to keep up. It is. It is. The struggle is real, fam. So I got some weird books. So here we go. So do you remember we only find them when they are dead? Yes. I definitely it bought the first randomly showed back up. Right, it randomly showed up. Number six randomly showed up this week. And I was like, I feel like there was a long period of time between point A and point B, and I'm pretty sure because there was. Well, what they're doing, to my understanding, is they're doing the same thing with what they're doing with... um, uh, What's the book that I love so much right now that's not happening? Homesick Pilots. Homesick Pilots made an announcement at the end of the book that this is the end of the first arc. They They did. Five was the end of the first arc, so that makes sense. And they said that what they were doing was they were... Ending the arc in April, letting the trade come out in May, and then picking up the next issue in June. Which, that trade came out this week, by the way, for Homesick Pilots. So for those of you that have been listening, you should be able to find it. Yeah. And so I think that's I think Boom is adopting that across its, you know, borders. But go on. I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks that are trying to do that. So that makes sense. So anyway... This book is still absolutely insane, but still really pretty. So for those of you that have forgotten, we only find them when they're dead. Follows all these different spaceship crews that are autopsy spaceships that literally harvest the meats of gigantic intergalactic dead gods. I'll let that settle for those of you that haven't been keeping up. Um, Because what? And we still don't fully understand why or how. Um, 
But Six kind of has now transitioned to a political operative that is functioning in this world. Not really sure what she's up to, but she kind of has a Han Solo vibe, which makes me believe that she's presenting political creds, but I think she's a smuggler of some type. And they kind of allude to that. Um, but we still don't really know why. <laughs> um, we, we don't know why. They only find the quote-unquote giant intergalactic gods. Think Galactus, because most of them look like giant Galactus-type folk. And why they harvest them. And then we've also now been introduced to a religious cult of types that really looks down upon people that eat the flesh that is harvested and then apparently sold of gods. And that's a thing. So I just uttered a bunch of things I don't think I ever thought I would utter in any context whatsoever. But here we are. But it's still a really visually different book and I don't have any way to describe how that how vivid a lot of it's very colorful and I don't mean it's it's not a gory book or anything like that it's just a very sci-fi felt but very bright book it looks like you're walking through an art gallery right it's I mean the pages are literally thick Boom books lately from a production side of things have been like the pages feel heavy with ink. I have no way to describe that. But if you've picked up a boom book lately, there's two things you will notice. It smells. Yes. Not kidding. They smell. And I think it's because of the ink and the pages have a very different feel. And like I said, it, it almost feels like each page is just like infused with the amount of color that is in them. But it's an interesting experience. So if you're looking for that all around sci-fi, still trying to figure out what's going on and also just really neat art, I'm going to keep telling you to read this book so we can all figure out what the heck is going on. <laughs> but on that note, uh, Seven Secrets, number eight, also came out. Another crazy book. I Man, did I pull all boom this week? At least half of them. But that says a lot because we've we said a few months ago that boom was really like hitting the iron. And lots of good stuff is coming out of their stuff. And well, it's true. Seven Secrets continues to be super fun. It's it's an action, really highly driven. I was thinking this issue that this would make a really great anime show just because from its artistic styling and the way that they're storytelling and that it is like literally just action, 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 action. It feels like it would be a really fun anime type project, even though it wasn't written for that purpose but following all these characters where there are seven secrets in the world and there are keepers and they keep it but there have been people that have been trying to steal the secrets and all the secret keepers have been attacked a few books ago and you found out that some folks have been betrayed and they're still now running to try to keep the secrets from basically the bad guys and the story isn't a lot more complicated than that, but it's been fun. The art really does have, it's, it's not manga, but it has a really close vibe. It, it feels very close to me for whatever reason. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or not. It's fun. There's some really neat art in it. They do some great panel work throughout the book. And it's another one of those that I just tell people, if you're just looking for something that just shows off all the aspects of comics, you should be reading Seven Secrets. And is it Jay Lee doing it? Well, actually, the thing that should should appreciate you is uh, Tom Taylor is writing it. Really? Yeah, I, ju I was just reading that and I was like, wait, hold on. 
So there you go. Well, now I know where that humor piece comes from because it also is really well balanced in in that with the action. So there you go. My next one is a continuation from last episode as well is we got the next... I caught up on Radiant Black in time for us to talk about Radiant Black number four. So we now know a little more about the being, the black hole being that is inside the main character in this because he has now fully reached out to the human and, you know, they did... It, it, it feels very Green Lantern to me and I'm not sorry for that because basically the being's like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm inside your head now and we got stuff to do. Um, but you're going to have to kill some fools and are you on board or not? Because there's, there's not a, I'm going to kind of do it type of thing. And you know, the broke writer dudes like I'm in and he finds out that there's another version of him, which is a different color. And I'm like, cool. So it's the red lantern. Um, but it, it's not a wholesale copy, but cause it still has this very modern, vibe and very real world oriented and what kind of happens if you drop that type of intergalactic power onto a person that kind of is like the worst option i mean i get it guy gardner kind of was the worst option but it just has a different feel from the lantern stuff and we're still figuring out what that means in that universe but now that we're kind of towards the end of the first arc which is usually where image books finally get to the point i'm digging it and i think it's okay it's great those statements were not all conclusive together. It's okay. I'm digging yeah. it. It's great. I think you got to pick a lane there, <laughs> Chief. Do I, though? I think there's lots of things going on in it, which means that it's all different aspects of that book. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And interesting lands in a category of, I will keep reading it. And then my final one is Daredevil, because Chip Zdarsky just keeps hitting homers because he doesn't know how to do anything else, apparently. And Daredevil 30 just continues down this path of, you know, last time we were visiting with our, our good friend, Matt Murdock, he was getting the crap shanked out of him in a prison yard. Um, but he, he's better. Um, he didn't die. So that's good. Um, Electra has taken on a ward of sorts. And that kind of played out kind of horrifically <laughs> in this issue so it's it's interesting to see Electra go through the thought process of taking on a ward which is not something she really saw herself doing and then seeing herself but then also being like right this kid wasn't brought up by the hand and you know a, a crazy martial arts cult and they play that out which is I found to be pretty striking we just see the continuation of Daredevil's you know, he's got time to serve, but he's given another option. And I won't spoil that because I thought that discussion of, but we can use a daredevil on the inside and we'll commute your sentence. And ultimately, you know, Matt being Matt is still, I think, dealing with the reality that he feels he needs to pay slash atone for the murder. So it's interesting to see that part play out as well, that just... There's a lot of different themes flowing through this book, and Sadarsky's just doing a really great job of managing them all in the same space. And then he just kicked the hornet's nest as hard as he could at the end of the book and is bringing back a very deadly villain for everyone involved. So I'm curious to see where we go in the next arc. I also really enjoy uh, Kingpin and uh, Mary. There was a great line of, yes, we've hurt each other, but we've also saved each other. 
Fisk has been like through the entire time that Mary's been there, like when she got hurt, like he cared, right? And visited her in the hospital. And, and then this was like, I'm taking you to dinner. And even Mary's like, what, what, what's, what's the gimmick? <laughs> so it, it's been like a holistically awkward relationship, but it's been interesting to watch that play out too. We literally have been telling you to read Daredevil probably since we started this show. Before we started this show. We here at LTN Radio know that not everybody is nerdy in the same ways, and you might find yourself in a situation where you hear a word or a phrase that you've never seen before and have no idea what it means. Well, have no fear. I'm here to help. Today's word is botch. And in fact, I've got a definition from two different sides of the Love Thy Nerd spectrum. First up, Dungeons and Dragons. A botch in D&D is when a player or a DM rolls a one. It leads to a critical failure, usually with dire or hilarious consequences. Moving over to wrestling now, a botch is when a professional wrestler attempts a scripted move or spoken line that does not come out as it was originally, just like that, as it was originally planned due to a mistake, miscalculation, a slip up, or an error in judgment. Hope this helps. Come back next week for another nerdy definition. I guess we got to wrap this up. Let's hit it on the high note and share. Those. Oh no, I'm gonna go low. Those. I'm gonna I'm gonna swing low for the low oh. notes. Oh, but we let's go ahead and hit all right. Go notes. for go for the low note. Yeah, let's hit those number ones. So what you got? I read a one shot called Eden um, from Aftershock okay. that I thought was pretty great. It's an oversized book. It's about the size of a DC Black Label book. It literally looks like Aftershock trying to be Black Label, and I don't mean that in any kind of ugly way. It's just how it how it looks. Right. That being said, they did a great job with it. It's a kind of Tales from the Crypt-ish or anthology standalone story of um, a depressed tattoo artist who um, has somewhere in the recent past suffered the loss of his wife and child as he is working in this tattoo artist industry and I mean, it honestly looks like whoever wrote this has actually hung around a tattoo parlor before because you get some dialogues and things that look pretty darn organic. A gorgeous woman comes in, singles him out, asks him to uh, draw something for her, but he wants her. He wants it freehand. She wants it freehanded. No, no prep work. No anything else. She's like, do this and give it to me raw. And so he does. It's clear to everyone in the shop that ever, that she is interested in him, but he's still emotionally unavailable and wounded and all the things. So she shows back up like the next day or the day after or something like that, and her tattoo is gone. And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Did you not like it? Did you? How did you have it removed so quickly?" And blah blah blah. And maybe it was it was a couple weeks later. It was like a logistic time period. With that. That relationship keeps going of she'll show up out of nowhere, ask for a organic animal piece, and then the next time you see her, her tattoo is gone. And I don't want to say more than that for spoilery purposes, because this is a one shot and it would ruin the whole thing. It's mystery. It's beautiful. It's also painful and kind of ugly at the same time. And it has a strong horror element. So you want to piece all that together into one storyline. 
and see what that looks like for you, this is it for you. But I, I have to say that in reading it, I was completely satisfied and not disappointed that my money was invested at all. Aftershock, one shot. I guess I went with the light <laughs> number one this this time. By comparison in that I checked out the new mainline Wonder Girl number one from DC that we got introduced to this character during Future State and everything. And so this is, you know, kind of the beginning of the story. So there's some flashbacks, there's some what's going on in current time, but uh, our, our new Wonder Girl, um, Yara, right? That's Yeah, Yara. That's her name. Like Hector has said in previous episodes and everything, is absolutely delightful. <laughs> it's an extremely well-written character that the flow is very fast. It feels very natural in the conversation, but it does have that millennial touch to uh, just her existence. But we're also shown some of the flashbacks of her family, where she came from, um, where she falls in the whole wonder uh, universe of everything. And you're seeing those pieces kind of come together. And the book is kind of ending at a point where those two worlds are colliding. And it's the same great art from earlier. The writing, like I said, is just great that I, I don't need to really beat this one into the ground. It's if you're looking for that next um, DC character that is, you know, pretty much original space and is taking a different look at something that we've seen before, but in a whole new way. This was a heck of an opening, and I hope they, they continue to stick that first arc and keep people engaged because I think this is a great character addition to the space. They're not pulling any punches. There's there's lots of great... There's social commentary on top of just the things going on, but it's not pushy. It's I just thought it was a great book, and there's not a lot of these that I see that I end up in that space. So when I saw this and I read it, and I was like, yep, want to give it a shot? I came out the other side and went, this is quite delightful. And so you should pick it up. It's it's fun in all of the right ways. And it's beautiful. Wonder Girl number one. Not a horror book. <laughs> if you want to round yourself out, you can pick up both our number ones this week. And be really confused afterwards. I want to throw a, a statement out. Um, and this isn't... I don't bash books per se or have like just outright <laughs> negatives to say. Um, uh -oh. One thing I will say, I picked up Heroes Reborn, the first three of them. I thought it was fun, and I don't have a major complaint against Heroes Reborn. That's not my statement. My statement is an overall statement towards the heart of the comic book industry, and to creatives as well. My only beef with Heroes Reborn is that it really just does feel like another way to do House of M. Or you and I read a book maybe two years ago where it was Punisher and T'Challa and somebody else and they couldn't remember who they were and it was a forgettable series. It's that thing of the thought that I had when I was reading this is one Marvel does really well at the what if angle of things i feel like as with marvel and comics in general a lot of times these companies are asking what if because they don't actually know what to do with what's next how many times did you how many times did you practice saying that 
I, that's first time, bro. First time. Oh, nailed it. Because the reality is, these companies, DC included, everybody else, spend so much time revisiting and rehashing old things that were moderately successful that they are scared to do new stories and tell new things and the things that actually become established parts of our culture are the new things not the rehashes but we saw the other end of this in that when dc tried to do 5g or you know what future state was going to be that people literally lost their jobs because these companies are so scared to tell original stories that they would rather fire trustworthy people than risk doing something original there's a lot of truth right there it hurt it hurt but (laughs) and i just want to encourage y'all that read comics or create or write or do art don't be afraid to do something new Please, for the love of God, create new things. Um, <laughs> right? Because I'm telling you, there are hearts and lives and cultures and societies that will be greatly impacted when y'all tell some new stories. Don't don't beat the same drum to death. Please. Please, please. Because there I mean, we're just sitting here talking about our new number ones. The stuff that we were talking about this week are new stories. Like Giving Jim Gordon yeah. a police hunt mission. It's an old character, a new tale. Yara, new stuff. This Eden thing, new stuff. Noctera, the stuff that we're talking about, the stuff that actually gets our attention, is the stuff that actually takes us somewhere new. So, for for the DC and Marvel executives that listen to this podcast, do better. Aww. Do better, guys. <laughs> do better. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode of Hector's Musings. Which I feel like we need to have more of because that was on point and you're, it's true. And it's one of the hardest things in creative space, right? That you're caught between, especially at the big two, you're going to be caught between what executives are like, it works, it sells. Give me more of that because it's comfortable, it's safe, and they can sell 47 variants and make their money off it. And even if the book fails, then they still made their money. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, that's what drives a lot of the industry where I think to your point, why boom is crushing it right now is because they're like, cool, who wants to write a story that even if it doesn't make it out of the first arc, you you told it and everyone's like, cool, I'll do that. I think it's brilliant because the stories get told. We're not worrying about who's it's a big publisher's name on the front of the book. So take the risk, do the cool things um, because there are publishers that will print it. I think we've proven that time and time again, that the companies like Aftershock, boom, um, there, there are indie press folks oni that will take on projects uh, especially from folks that just want to tell something that hasn't been told and then at a minimum just don't let people crush your creativity publish it there's so many ways to do it kickstarter independent press amazon publishes stuff for people that if you got a thing it's who you are publish it i was just at um a booth for scout comics at a con yep scout's really great Scout is actively looking for storytellers. Just throwing it out there. Because, like, I was talking to a guy about pitching some stuff for me to do. That was my rant, though. I just, I had that thought, and I'm like, I need to say this because it's going to be a minute before we have this time again. So, uh, yeah, let me throw this out there. Yeah, no. Hector's musings, not Hector's rants. Hector's musings. I I felt that was pretty gentle. I don't don't think it was a full rant. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us here at the Polis Podcast. Episode 54 is now in the books and now in your ears. But we couldn't possibly do any of this alone. As many of you know, we take this epic journey of podcast and fandom with lots of other amazing podcasts over on the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. 
You can check all those out at lovethynerd.com for more info, previous episodes, and maybe find yourself a little something new to listen to. Like Hecker said, this actually wraps up our spring uh, summer series with uh, Love Thy Nerd. Love Thy Nerd has established some structure, uh, which is good. That gives us uh, groups of getting shows into your ears, but also giving some of us a break. And so we're hitting the series finale uh, for right now. And we're going to take, I believe it's the next two months off, but there's going to be lots of other great content available through LTN during that time. And Hector and I might bring you a couple special episodes. We'll see what we can do. So keep your ears out for that, but be looking for us uh, to be back at it, I believe in August. Uh, so if it feels a little light, you can still come hang out with us in the discord and the Facebook community and reach out. It's part of the process of just maturing what we're doing and we're excited to be part of the process. So as always, Hector and I do want to thank you guys for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on that near weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate, review the show on your podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, all those wonderful places. So honestly, from the bottom of both of our hearts, thanks for listening. And remember, kids, read more comics. This is the game of-